With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. morning and thank you for joining us on Blog Talk Radio, Three Women, Three Ways. I'm your host, Heather Stark, and I've been doing this for a couple years now, and uh, I'm always amazed at the number of topics we come up with. I always thought when we started this that we'd have, oh, maybe six months to a year worth of fresh topics, and here it is going on three years, and I think we've stayed pretty fresh all along. Today's topic is kind of an extension of last week's show where we talked about divorce revenge. And we had a number of callers who uh, talked less about divorce revenge than about the experiences that they had faced in court. And this uh, this is a, a terrible situation. Joining us today is Dr. Karen Huffer. She teaches at King's University, and she is a psychologist, and she specializes in this whole area of legal abuse. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Huffer. Thank you. I'm happy to be with you again. <laughs> <laughs> um, we Explain to us what legal abuse is, would you? Yes. It is the experience that somebody has in the legal proceedings or a bureaucratic proceeding or experience that makes them feel in jeopardy and helpless. That's the same formula that creates post-traumatic stress disorder is when you are in stark jeopardy and feeling helpless. And people will say, oh, people are never that jeopardized in court. Oh, really? About the time you're losing your children and your health is at stake, and all of your finances are gone, and you can't get your medicine, and your insurance has been canceled, and uh, some uh, coercive controlling violator is threatening your life, trust me, the jeopardy is equal to or worse than uh, wartime. In wartime, you're prepared for it, you're armed, you get training. You know, not that that's delicious, but we don't expect in the court. We turn to the court for help. And this is well, where not only women... that, but people Go expect ahead. trauma in in um, more time. Right. People who go to court expect some sort of justice. We expect help and protection yeah. and reason. And they get into court and all of a sudden they find that the opposition is is falsely representing information. And all of a sudden, they're looked at. It's the whole experience of slander. When someone says something horrible about you, you are stuck with that cloud around your head no matter what. And if you're absolutely innocent, nevertheless, you're stuck with that cloud around your head. And then worse, we've got some knee-jerk reactions that the courts are kind of, they're on an assembly line that it seems like they have knee-jerk reactions to certain things, such as sexual abuse, um, such as 
uh, domestic violence, oh, it isn't that bad, and there's no such thing as PTSD, and you hear all kinds of nonsense that uh, can be knee-jerk right from the court. So where you turned for help sometimes has become a long-arm extension of the abuse you were feeling before. Yeah, yeah. Well, not only that, but when you go through the courts, people, friends, support groups, you know, family figure, you know, this is where you can go, get your help, get your support, get your justice, and then you start, uh, you know, talking about being traumatized by the court and people don't get it, just like they don't get it with domestic violence for the most part. So you're lacking that kind of support um, for what you're going through. Uh, I think sometimes if, if people realized how traumatic it is to go to court, and especially in custody battles, um, they, they would be absolutely shocked. Doctor, we have uh, a caller, and let me throw out our phone number for people. Uh, the phone number to call in and join us is 646-378-0430. That's 646-378-0430. Let's go to our caller real quick, Doctor. Caller, are you there? Hello? Yes, hi. Caller, are you with us? Yes, I am. This is Jonathan Friedrich in Las Vegas. Okay. And I don't know. I don't know how many of your listeners are here in uh, the state, but I just wanted to let you know that this coming Tuesday, which is the third of uh, December at nine o'clock in the morning, the Common Interest Community Commission, of which I am one of the commissioners, will be holding their uh, quarterly meeting. And uh, we have three managers who have been accused of embezzling homeowner association funds. So they will uh, be uh, receiving, hopefully, justice for past sins uh, through an administrative uh, hearing and possible fine. And uh, then there are a number of uh, regulations that are being proposed, one of which is mine which was actually mandated in 2009 by the state legislature, and that was to create a regulation dealing with due process. And the commission had never undertaken that until I was appointed and realized that this needed uh, to be written and then um, uh, Well, John, how, how is John, right? I'm sorry, say yeah. again? Your name is John? I didn't... Jonathan, Jonathan. Jonathan. Well, Jonathan, how do you tie that in with the topic that we're having about uh, legal abuse? Well, interesting you ask that. When you go and move into a homeowners association, you surrender some of your constitutional rights uh, because I you see. have you have signed a contract with mm-hmm. an association and you have given up as hard as it is to believe. Okay. Your constitu- some of your okay. constitutional rights. You become subservient yeah. to the board. Okay, and well, thank you, Jonathan. I'm going to uh, jump in here because uh, our topic is not about homeowners associations today, and when you sign that contract, you are voluntarily um, giving up those rights that you agree to give up because you have the choice of not signing the contract. 
um, and buying a home somewhere else. So it's a fascinating topic, and I'm really glad you called, Jonathan. But um, we're talking more about uh, domestic violence kinds of issues, you know, interpersonal issues, and uh, I, I appreciate your call. Dr. Huffer, do you see any connection between what Jonathan was talking oh, there's about? There's actually and- a, uh, a professor at UNLV that has tied HOA abuses into domestic abuses. Because oh, what really? he finds, yeah, um, oh gosh, I forget his name off the top of my head. I know it. I'll think of it. Um, but he has written about this and is studying it. And the fact of the matter is, when your home is your sanctuary and it's where you need to be safe, anything that threatens that home. And the crazy part, yeah, you sign the document that looks like it's regulated, and you assume some common sense uh, reigns. But it depends on the board. Whoever the board is at the time kind of has carte blanche with what they do, and sometimes they do some outrageous things that really um, sound a lot like domestic violence things where you'll be harassed in your home, you'll be fined, um, they will not count your uh, assessments being paid and put the house up for foreclosure, force foreclosure. Yeah, there are quite a few things there. There is, it's not exactly what we're talking about today, but, yeah, there's a loose connection for sure. If Jonathan emails you, would he? Would you uh, perhaps be able to uh, give him that uh, connection with the uh, professor's study? Yes, okay. legal abuse. That's Gary Solomon. Jonathan, oh, you know him, Jonathan? Oh, I know him, Do I know I know him you, very Jonathan? well. You and I once communicated by email, but we've actually never spoken. I did request that you contact me. But uh, I never heard back from you. And um, I've got a website which is known as HOACorruption.com, which tracks a lot of the abuses here in the state, um, all of the FBI uh, corruption cases, and uh, some of the other cases throughout the United States. And and I'll put you in touch with the other people that I am aware of that are working on this issue. Uh, well, okay, I'm on Cynthia you... Stevens' uh, email list. That's how I knew about this morning's uh, call-in. Okay. Uh, great. Oh, yeah. Well, I okay. thank you, Jonathan, and um, it, it sounds like a fascinating topic, and I'd love to tackle it sometime. It's, it's uh, more than today fascinating. We want to it, it's yeah. it's uh, we want tremendously to... abusive. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it is. So, uh, you know, g- keep in touch, and uh, we may tackle that topic coming up because I have heard some pretty horrendous things about homeowners associations. So thank you very much for calling us, Jonathan, and right. uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of the show, and good luck with your efforts. Uh, it's an... Oh, whoops, I cut, I cut him off too soon. I'm sorry. Dr. Huffer, um, although there is some sort of connection between the legal abuse that people... Uh, experience in homeowners associations, and I know a lot of times it's in the news, and it is fascinating to me. Uh, really, our topic is kind of about you know what happens when uh, in domestic violence issues and uh, controlling issues um, with uh, individuals. So we were talking about how um, the an individual can go to court and just be gobsmacked by how they're treated, and it can cause a lot of trauma. This especially happens with child custody cases, doesn't it? Yes. 
And that's a good word. I've never heard it before. <laughs> Gobsmacked. Oh, uh, yes, that is what happens. Uh, I, I have cases where, the, and mostly they're women who are beat up on by men. Sometimes they're men who are beat up on by women, but it's less often. But the women then flee because they're told, get away, you know, keep yourself safe. Uh, They try and take the kids, keep them all safe. And then all of a sudden we get this backlash of there are certain attorneys that will help with this and the fathers will come back in or the abusers and then they're accusing the other person of alienating the children from them. There was a whole false concept of parental alienation syndrome that Richard Gardner, a psychiatrist, put out years ago, and it became yeah, that so would perf- be Richard Gardner, the the pedophile who who advocated yeah. Uh, pedophilia. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah the one reliable. that thought that was just fine to ha- be a pedophile. That was a healthy, good thing. Uh, So because that training, he sent his book to every judge in the country, I think, and it became just a a typical concept of, uh uh-oh, if you're accusing them of any kind of abuse, and especially sexual abuse, uh, you are alienating the child from, and they'll take the kid from the protective parent and hand them over to the abuser. Well, you know, here in Washington State, there was a case a few years ago where a girl was removed from her protective parent and turned over to uh, a parent, uh, actually it was a grandfather, who abused her. And she, her mother had told the court that she had been abused by this person, and again, they took custody from the mother and turned it over to the grandfather. And when that girl turned 18, she sued the guardian ad litem, she sued the state, she sued the judge, she sued everybody. And I've been trying for the last couple of years to figure out how that has been resolved, if it has, and I'm not successful with that, so my conclusion is they must have settled out of court. I, I but, wonder, there's a group of, of uh, children now that have passed 18 that have gotten together called Courageous Kids that have talked about coming back and suing these places and these judges for what they did to them, because they lived lives of torture. And oh, yes. They're not hurt. Well, imagine, I can only imagine what that does to you, to be hurt by somebody and then have authority figures say, you have to stay with this person. You have to be. And we don't believe you. they'll come and peel those kids' hands off while they're trying to hang on to the protective parent and yep. forcibly take them and hand them over to the abuser. I cannot imagine a more terrorizing experience for a child. And also to find that your parent has been neutralized, the one you're bonded with, the one you count on to protect you, and all of a sudden they're they're neutralized and authority has come in, jailed them in some cases, so we are criminalizing these parents who are trying to protect their children. Oh, yeah. And and not only is the, the trauma there for the child, but the trauma for the protective parent, who, as you said, is hopeless and helpless to do anything to protect. And I think that I certainly know that there are exceptions, but I would say the vast, vast majority of uh, protective parents, of mothers, uh, that's their prime imperative, if you will, to protect their child. And if you take that away from them, 
it is so devastating not only to the child who's been put in risk, but also to the parent who's powerless to do what, what she wants to do most, which is protect her child. Now, again, I know that there are some exceptions to this, and uh, but, you know, the, that those exceptions are very, very uh, tiny. You know, the, the mothers who uh, don't have that connection to their children, I think, is a very, very small uh, component. What do you think, Doctor? And who rely about abuse, a very low mm-hmm. percentage. Yeah. Uh, but I did yeah. a training program uh, in your area in Edmonds, Washington, and uh, one of the therapists that was taking my training said, these children who have been abused this way have no place to turn. The therapists are discredited if they come forward and try and back the parent. The parent is discredited and punished for reporting it. The children literally, nobody will listen to them. And, no. and then, oh, my goodness, how many times it's pretty well proven and the children are there is a protective order in place and all of a sudden we're facing the power of the other side coming in for reunification and they want back with the children which i think is fine as long as we all are telling the truth and and paying the dues and getting the expert opinions that really matter but it becomes a power game And the other part of the power game is if they have to pay child support. They say, I'm not paying a dime into that family. I'm going to take the kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and in the case of what I've seen, it's money is the major, money and and control. They want to hurt the other parent, and they don't want to spend a dime. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Dr. Hover, we have another um, caller that I'd like to go to, (laughs) and... um, when we come back, let's talk a little bit more about this parental alienation and uh, reunification or supposed reunification. Okay. Caller, are you with us? I am. Hi, Heather. This is Therese Todd. Well, hi, Therese. How are you doing? This is an old I'm, friend of mine. I'm very well, and I am so grateful to you for taking on this topic. Good for you. Oh. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us. Do you have something you'd like to, an opinion, or have you had experience with this? Well, actually, I mean, uh, in my own experience, I have, and I just wanted to let you know, you know, the Thrivers Action Group in the city are looking at doing a domestic violence, uh, they're kind of calling it a domestic violence resource center to try to give more uh, both criminal and civil legal support, but we certainly don't have the, uh, the real key is getting, getting more lawyers to participate in these cases to get more representation for victims and survivors. And then also there's there's a new statute um, that's available that could maybe do some real good, but nobody's paying much attention to it. Is that a Washington? Which one is? Yeah, well, Washington there, State. This, in Washington what State, there's the a new statute be? where the, the Supreme Court and the legislature have funded this new concept called a limited legal licensed technician and the whole concept is to allow basically paralegals to be sort of like you know like nurses uh, physicians assistants who can write scripts but they can't really practice Mm -hmm. medicine it's the same basic concept in law and if we could get a really good if we could get a really good set of trained legal limited legal technicians trained in domestic violence because it's so upside down 
Okay, domestic violence takes family law and just turns it completely upside down. Oh, yeah. And you really have to have well, advocates that understand that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, you there have is to also have a huge missing that. factor in most cases. Once these people have traumatic stress disorders, anxiety disorders, sometimes physical injuries. I have one mother with terrible brain injury from, uh, from her attacker. Um, once they have any kind of impairment that is keeping them from being able to protect themselves in court and function with good executive functionality, they fall under the Americans with Disabilities Act Amendments Act for accommodations. And many of them do not know that they have this protection where we I'm, can ask I, their sequestered. I'm with you completely. Yeah, I'm, I have, I, I'm working with somebody right now who, who has been brilliant about being able to seek out some of the things that go with the American Disabilities Act, but it is so hard for these folks to maneuver through all these systems. Yeah, yeah. Well, well especially yeah, so when one, you start out being traumatized. You know, I mean, you're, yeah, you're, you're going so here and you're, you're facing all the trauma you've been through, the, the after effects of that trauma, and bingo, you're jumping right into something that is unknown and that you can't be sure will be protective of you or your child. Um, it, it, I think it's just a terrifying, terrifying experience. Um, and I would love, uh, Therese, if we at a later show could talk about this uh, uh, legislation because this is the first I've heard of it. So this sounds well, terrific. Yeah, you know, no, the lawyers don't want anybody to know about it because it's sort of com- competition to the attorney. But, sure. you know, the reality is that the folks that would be using these limited uh, family law folks, you know, they, they don't have the money to hire family law attorneys anyway. If we had a, you know, exactly. uh, you know, if we could just get it so it was affordable, you know, justice for all means people should be able to afford attorney. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely. Well, and the whole issue that you brought up about education, I, I am a pit bull when it comes to education for attorneys and judges, Absolutely. and that's a real tough thing to do. It's a real tough thing well, to do. I, it is. Well, I want to I give, give some, a real kudo to uh, the King County Prosecutor's Office because they, through a, a VALA grant, they did a domestic violence symposium at Seattle University not long ago. It was really well attended by judges and, and lawyers and prosecutors. So you know there, you know there, there's effort. Yeah. You know there's effort. At least yeah, now there's effort. Yeah. You know? But there also has <laughs> the, the, those people. Um, I, I went to King County Guardian Ad Litem training uh, right. a year or so ago, and they, in my opinion, had several people who mentioned domestic violence, but they had one person who actually understood it and believed it. I left that training with the distinct impression that a lot of people were paying lip service to domestic violence and didn't really practice what they were preaching. Yeah, I, I can, and I can I, see that. Yeah, so that's also an issue. Um, and the it Guardian's is. Ad Litem and all that kind of stuff. But we can talk about that later, and I really appreciate your calling in and letting us know about well, that. Well, I appreciate you taking on this topic and, and the doctor for all of her uh, information and good comments. We, we appreciate it. Okay. Thank well, you, thank you, Therese. Thank you for joining us. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that was news to me, so we're going to do that at a future show, Dr. Huffer, talk about the limited legal uh, licensed technicians. Does that sound I wonderful? I love it because I see so many people that have no legal help and they are just exploited. 
and beat up oh, yeah. so badly in the court. And the ADA is not that tough, but it, once you understand one thing about it, it's administrative. It is not, you don't take it into court and throw your disability into the adversarial arena. It is confidential, and it's to go through court administration, not into the uh, regular court for a, a discretionary opinion. So um, it's not any more discretionary than a ramp for a wheelchair. Whoever does the ramp for the wheelchair does your accommodations. And once you understand that, it's not so hard. It's when you bring it into the courtroom, and then you find the opposition saying, well, they've got a disability, so now they can't have custody, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, yes, yes. And that kind of stuff happens frequently. And um, it's illegal. That is yeah. patently, federally um, illegal. Now, that's discrimination. Yeah. Well, and another thing that happens in these cases is uh, I know in Washington State, which is what Teresa was talking about, we have um, laws about um, uh, mischievous uh, litigation. And people can be, you know, have legal repercussions if they continue to file over and over and over just to harass somebody. And yet... I have seen so many cases where there's lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit brought by the perpetrator of domestic violence, and nobody is actually pursuing these people under the the um, uh, frivolous litigation uh, statute. So um, it's it's a rarity, I think, when people really say, "Okay, this is it. This is enough." Um, we had a um, situation i wanted to share this one with you doctor um there's a situation and i think it was here yeah it was here in washington and um the husband okay was terrifically abusive and uh physically abusive as well as emotionally abusive and the woman escaped and um She obtained a domestic violence protection order against her husband, and uh, the order was granted in 2007. Three days after the court granted the order, he was arrested uh, because he was violating that order, and and the wife called it in. And the prosecutor eventually dropped those charges. In 2007, the court granted Jane a one-year protection order. Later that month, she filed for divorce, and the court granted the divorce, ordering primary of the custody to the wife. Okay, he appealed that decision, filed a lawsuit against Jane, separate one, against Jane's former employer and against Jane's boyfriend. He filed lawsuits against judges, law enforcement officials, and court officials who had been involved in the case. Thomas ended up pursuing eight separate lawsuits. Not only were these lawsuits meritless, but this pattern of retaliatory litigation had a devastating impact on Jane's life. Eight separate lawsuits, and you know, that's not nearly as many as I've heard of. I have heard of these cases going on for 10, 12, 13 years, as long as, as, long as uh, the children are under age. And, oh, they'll uh, go on the whole, the whole child-rearing life of the child. They will yeah. go on and sometimes extend further. Uh, but remember, a coercive controller, if this is the dynamic, which usually is what I find, it's someone kind of sociopathic, but they know how to play the games to win. So they get a hold of the buzzwords, the parental alienation buzzword. They learn about the funding to the court, so they know what the court is 
kind of in aligned with in order to keep the funds coming in for different purposes regarding children and the uh, how children are are handed over in custody foster care etc they know how to play the game and they get the right buzzwords in i've got two cases right now where the people are done in due to the words in the record that aren't true but they yeah. use the right buzzwords, making one mother look like she is resisting the court order and she's being threatened with jail, and a man who did not do a crime but was autistic and signed a false confession because he signs anything people tell him to. He doesn't oh. get it that he is in jeopardy. And the detective was horribly abusive, got him to sign a false confession. Both are looking at doing time and neither one of them did anything wrong. It's, mm. it's, it's uh, either the prosecutor or it is the uh, opposition, the adversary, that gets those right buzzwords. And then they come into court and they look so pure. They're there on time. They're dressed mm-hmm. up. They've got an attorney that is just vicious. And the poor protective parent is dealing with soccer games, school, homework, brushing teeth, getting the kids where they have to go, traumatized, runs in the court, forgets her papers some of the time, somewhat looking hassled, but nobody is telling the truth there. One guy is controlling our whole court system. This is bothersome to me, that the sociopathic personality can virtually compromise our courts. And I see it every day. Yeah. Well, and and it's a very calculated kind of retaliation using litigation. Um, And again, that control, that power over, it's almost as if, okay, I can't abuse you in person anymore, so I will have this uh, court, you know, and and court personnel be my intermediary, my my tool for abusing you. That's right. And that's all it becomes, and they promise you they're going to do it, and you're going to be ruined. And they pretty much are able to carry it out. And like you said, we have uh, different laws that protect against frivolous and meritless litigation. But half the time when the poor pro se person who's run out of money for a lawyer is coming in and filing the best they can, they'll say, well, you filed three motions on this same topic. Well, I didn't get it right the first time and I had no help. Well, we're going to get you for... Um, you know, whatever they called the mischievous or um, the meritless uh, frivolous, litig- frivolous litigation. Right. Yeah, yeah, terrible. I, I just, you know, I think that um, the trauma of being abused is nothing compared to the trauma of being abused in court, especially over custody. Um, I custody hear it every is, day. Yeah, and, you know, Which I... I have Yeah. Those, those um, bruises heal. I, I know of one situation where a woman fought for years to gain back custody, and again, she was um, accused of, or she uh, uh, accused the father of sexual uh, abuse against the child, and the court really slammed her for that, and um, she ended up fighting for years and years and years and uh, for custody, and she finally ended up committing suicide. She just couldn't take it anymore. Um, and I think that, you know, the, the women who go through this, they are so strong. They are so strong 
to be able to keep fighting for their children, you know. Uh, Dr. Hoffer, we have another caller, and I'm going to go to this person right now. Hello, caller. Are you with us? Absolutely. Can you hear okay. me? Okay, caller, where are you, what's your name and where are you from? My name is Vanna, and I'm from Montana. Okay, Vanna from Montana. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Uh, do you have a comment that you'd like to throw in? Oh, absolutely. I want to... Um, okay. There's static in the background, so I don't know if you can hear me well. But I want to thank you foremost for, as Therese said earlier, taking on this difficult topic. And I want to reiterate that the legal venue is the perfect forum for coercive controllers to continue to perpetrate their abuse. As yeah. a licensed clinical professional counselor myself, I see this again and again. And Dr. Huffer couldn't be more spot on with her observations. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, one of the things that I, I see kind of a triumvirate of, of uh, potential abusers in, a, in litigious situations. One is the judge, one is the lawyers, and the other one is the psych- psychologists and counselors. Um, and since I'm working on my dissertation for a, a Ph.D. in psychology right now, I, I, I'm, I don't like that I believe that way, but I do. I have seen so many cases of, of uh, abusive and coercive and controlling parents dragging the kids time after time after time to different counselors, telling his version of what the case, you know, um, and the counselor or a psychologist uh, writing a report as if every word that man says is gospel. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I I just have such a hard time with that. It's like, okay, you can report on what he said, but how can you make sweeping uh, assumptions based on what one party in in a litigation situation has to say? Um, I see that so often, and even... I'm concerned because once these are court appointees, there'll be psychologists or lawyers appointed as minors counsel or psychologists for the child. Some of these kids have seven or eight professionals appointed to work in their lives, parent coordinators, etc., but no mother. You know, it always bothers me. But I find that they are not neutral. They come up on one side and they will fabricate and fight for that one side. I have been an expert uh, witness in some of these cases, and I've never seen such as venom. I want to stop them from the witness stand and say, how is it you are taking care of the best interest of a child with this level of hatred? You know, anybody that hates either parent, even the wrong parent, I don't hate either parent ever. You know, I would really like for it to Mm -hmm. get more healthy. But I, these court appointees, then one makes an opinion, all of a sudden they all rubber stamp it. Because, I don't get any, because, any facts. Mm-hmm. I yeah. just Caller, get a case that? that has been kind of pretextually put together to destroy mm-hmm. one parent and to drive it through the courts. Absolutely. Well, and think I about think... the motivation here. You have a, a right. litigant who is motivated to control and and. Uh, continue abuse and perhaps uh, have retribution toward one parent, and then you have a system which is not, um, which basically takes the side of whoever's paying the bill. It's economically driven. Yes. 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 So mm-hmm. if you don't have 
the economic wherewithal. If you don't have, you know, if, if you're so beaten down you, ca- you can't handle more retribution, you're going to lose. It doesn't have anything to do with what's healthiest for the kids. It doesn't have anything to do with what's healthiest and fairest for the child. It has to do with who can pay the bill and who uh, is the, the stronger spirit, I think. The guy my- with the most money wins. Mm-hmm. Yes. Absolutely, yes, that's exactly. right. You know what? This extrapolates out also across the board here because these legal representatives or court-appointed individuals are also paid. One simply needs oh, yes. to follow the money trail to find out what the incentive or motivation would be for choosing one side and coming down strongly and exclusively in a biased way toward that alone. It really is not about our children's best interest unless we take the time to have these kinds of discussions, which, again, I want to commend you for. And I, I just have to absolutely salute you for grappling with an issue this complex, this extensive, and this epidemic. It is so significant that we get a handle on the infrastructure that has allowed this to go on and on. And for individuals to profit, it is completely destroying the structure of families. It is creating irreparable pain of separation from children and parents um, from their own offspring and their opportunity or ability to follow through, as you said earlier, their prime imperative, and that's to protect their child, provide for their child. This is a legal venue. All one has to do is simply step back and look at it from a comprehensive, objective fashion and say, how is it that anyone would continue to do again and again and again what the coercive controller does? And that's allege baseless things and force someone defenseless to try to protect themselves from it. At cost, there's a, a literal cost, emotional, economic, physical, for the most quintessential helpless people there are. These are the children. They have no decision-making power. They can't weigh in on this. They can't protect themselves. They're physically dependent. And then their protective parent is raked through the legal coals, so to speak, and left with virtually and oftentimes nothing and or a child support payment, limited visitation, a reputation that's been destroyed, it impacts their physical health, their ability to contribute further. It's a, it's well, a this happens even when there's documented evidence of domestic violence against the protective Absolutely. parents. Sometimes and they've been arrested very often and done some time over it, and they still get the kids. Right. And so how and the other parent will that. never have done anything uh, wrong mm-hmm. that can be traced. And uh, that we're talking does. about Title IV funding partly that mm-hmm. funds the courts and funds what goes on. We're also talking about private pay, where one party has more money or has sometimes uh, the course of controller will commandeer all of the finances before they make their move. Very and then the other thing, my clients lose their jobs because the yeah. coercive controller, once you're in that war, they begin suing and they begin harassing uh, the business. Wherever the, the I had one woman that did what only 11 women in the world were able to do with great big computer systems, and she lost her job because he kept filing things to depose the people at work, subpoenaing things, harassing them. Mm-hmm. So they cause them to lose their careers. They're broke. All money that they can conjure up from their families, they spend on lawyers. Pretty soon they can't afford them anymore, and they struggle in that court pro se. I'm so glad Washington has taken a, at least a small step 
toward helping these people because they need legal help. And they also, if they're under the ADAAA and someone is doing this to them, that is a federal violation, USC 42-12203. They're not to be retaliated against, harassed, in, intimidated, anything like that, or anyone trying to help them. And But they don't know it. People don't know that they have a right to use that law, and they'll say, oh, I'm not crippled. Well, nobody emotionally, you walk in that courtroom, and you dissociate, and you fold up, and they put on the records what they want. You lose your kids. You lose everything. That is not yeah. what the court is about. They are to have that protection. That's there for them. Ladies, we have another caller that I'd like to bring into this discussion since you're both professional, uh, if you don't mind. Caller, are you with us? Hello, are you with us, caller? Uh, are you, me? Yep, you. What's your yep, name? It's Treat again. Oh, hi, Treat. <laughs> it's such an interesting discussion. I just couldn't let it go. <laughs> okay. Do you have a quick comment to throw in here? Well, I, I, I wanted to agree with what everyone has said and, and, again, just reiterate how important this topic is. And um, I do think that we have an opportunity to kind of uh, make some real social change at this level if we kind of combine our forces and our energy to focus attorneys and the bar associations on what is required in these cases and encourage um, the justice system to pay attention. I think, I think we're at a moment where we've, we've got some strong voices and we need to use them just like you, you all are. And, I agree. Um, and get involved in judicial selection. Are they elected yeah, in your area Absolutely. or are they appointed in your area? Either way, get involved in who is being... Um, selected or elected, because they will have more to do with your life than the President of the United States, and people go vote for the President. Vote yeah, for they the don't judges. know anything about the judges. And one of the mm-hmm. things I wanted to say is I really want to encourage everyone to encourage their local law enforcement uh, folks who are first responders oftentimes. Um, what you were saying about, you know, federal offenses, you know, there are a lot of additional crimes that surround domestic violence. And I think we need to start encouraging those folks to start paying attention to those crimes as well. There's oftentimes mail tampering. There's car theft. You take somebody's keys without their permission and drive off in their car, that's car theft. I think there's a lot of things, creative ways that we need to start looking at this and uh, putting a lot more pressure on the judicial system. And not to minimize those guardians ad litem. Um, You know, I, I, having been kind of close to that, I, I am appalled. I'm just appalled uh, at the, the, the training and the um, attitudes um, of most of the domestic uh, uh, violence guardians ad litem. Therese, thank you for calling. I'm going to go back. All the best. Dr. Thanks again. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Um, I'm going to go back to uh, our other caller. Are you there from Montana? I am. I am. Okay. Yes, thanks. Um, we are fortunate here, I think, in Washington State because we have such um, a, a concerted effort uh, in most areas about domestic violence issues. We have two counties right next to each other in our state that are like night and day when it comes to domestic violence issues. So I think it's county by county, but these laws and the legislature is state um, wide. 
And so if we can activate and work with the legislators and the organizations that really have the ear of the legislators, I think we might be able to make some headway here. But I think this problem has been going on for a long time, and I think it's going to take a lot of effort um, to slow it down. Because one of the things that I know about domestic violence and about coercive controllers is that people end up giving them what they want to just get them the heck out of their lives. Yep, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, I've seen this with arbitration. Um, I, I've seen it with arbitration as well. Arbitrators will come, you know, I don't know if anybody's been through arbitration, but usually the arbitrator is in a separate room uh, when it's domestic violence issues, and the arbitrator will go from room to room with the um, defendant and or with the uh, uh, wife and her attorney and the husband and his attorney, and the arbitrator goes back and forth between the two. And in one case that I know of, the arbitrator came into the wife and said, look, just give him this because he's not going to bend. <laughs> oh, okay. Arbitrator. okay. Right. So we just give him what he wants because he's too difficult to deal with. Yeah. Um, it, intimidation is often the MO of yeah. the coercive controller. That's a hallmark feature to take it because I'm entitled, the sense of yep. entitlement is so inflated that it's not about negotiation. It's not about a mature, collaborative, meet in the middle and exchange, work for literally the best interests of the children. It is about my dominating this scenario. And if you're out of line in my perception, you're not compliant to my wishes sufficient, then I will intimidate in order to ensure that you ultimately acquiesce. This happens so consistently, it's such a pattern, that even those who are not the direct targets of this projectionism on the part of the coercive controller, they too will fatigue. And they will say, just give it to him because he's not going to bend on this. That includes there you go, mediate the judges. It, it almost yep. can be uh, an indirect kind of intimidation on the people around him. They do scare people. Uh, and they're incompetent mediators. So Amen. Yeah. are not competent at working out cooperatively any kind of problem, yet they're forced through a lot of mediation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I certainly should not make any kind of sweeping commentary, but I've known a few arbitrators, and they tend to be very nice people who d- just think the best of both sides. Um, and... Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I, the a couple of arbitrators that I know seem to be very naive when it comes to issues of controllers. Uh, they just don't seem to to get it, and there's a lot of pressure to well, give him this, and then he'll give you something. No, you give him this, and he will want more. Um, exactly, so- and one of the big mistakes that uh, parents do is the protective parent will say, look, take all the property, take all the funds, just leave yes. the kids and I at peace. Yes. Oh, okay. So they take all the property and the funds, which is pretty well etched in stone, but custody never is. And so then yeah. they come back with the kids. Right. Yeah. 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 They always want more. It's like I don't know how many of you had, have, uh, whether it, either of you has children, but there was a children's book called If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. Um <laughs> And it always reminded me of that if you give the mouse the cookie, he's going to want a glass of milk. If you give him a glass of milk, he's going to want to, you know, blah, 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 blah. It never oh, ends. I love it. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, as a matter of fact, I've often gifted people who work in these situations with copies of if you if you give a mouse a cookie. Um, <laughs> you have to so send one to every judge and with a yes. little note yes. about coercive control. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Call from very Montana. Insightful. Thank you. Yeah. Thank Likewise. you so much for joining us. I really appreciate okay. it. I'm going to uh, say goodbye to you now and move on to another okay. caller. But thank Perfect. you so much. You added a lot to our discussion. Thank you, indeed. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Um, and now let's go to another caller. Caller, are you there? Caller, Hello? are you there? Yes. Can Hello? you hear me? Are you? Yes. Are you speaking? You're speaking to me, right? Yes, I am. Area code oh, 650. Okay. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> what is your Hi. first name? My name is Lisa, and I'm from California, and I, I know Dr. Huffer, and she's been incredible, and she has been working on my case. And um, I just wanted to point out one of the things that someone brought up, uh, and Dr. Huffer, too. Well, you were talking about the local law enforcement, and I've had um, – my ex-husband has, has used identity theft. He's had me false uh, imprisoned, and he – they, his whole family, they call in false police charges, um, false police calls. I've been going through seven years of hell. It's cost me 150000 to just to protect myself under these false criminal charges, and that's because uh, the DA went after me because they lied about child abuse to my stepdaughter. So, and then they just they will not stop and uh, the malicious litigation that's gone on for seven years, is, uh, I, am just, I am just so beat up. I can't deal with it. And I'm being stalked by them all the time. The police don't pay any attention to any of it. And um, actually, he knows people in the police uh, department and um, oh, yeah. is uh, supported by that. So it's just uh, so um, mind-blowing and horrific, and I, I really love that this is being covered, and it is so important. What Dr. Huffer is doing is incredible, and I love that other people have gotten in on this subject too. So I've spent about half a million dollars and have nothing left on, the, on um, attorneys and um, all of this. And Would you he's say still going after me. This is a case Pardon? where they are just taking buzzwords and usual, the knee-jerk things that a court will respond to, like child abuse, making yes. false charges, and so the whole thing is a pretext built on that? Yes. Yes. And, and the fact that he's been using, he has stolen my identity. I've gone after, I've opened cases against him for that. Um, uh, that's been ignored. He has been uh, tampering with my mail. I opened a case with the post office. That's been ignored. And with the, the local police, I've opened cases against him for all the police, fake police charge, uh, calls. They've ignored that. It just goes on and on and on and on. And, um, I, oh, he also the, he got a bench warrant on me, for, which has been on me for seven months for uh, – supposedly not attending a court date with the private judge that I've had to pay for seven years. Um, and I was never, ever served with the, the paperwork that I had this court date. And I, they now have a bench warrant that they won't remove. And um, his attorney is actually trying to extort me 
telling me that I have to come up with 200 and something thousand dollars or they won't release this bench warrant. And I, I um, actually sent a complaint into the, uh, to the California State Bar. They closed the complaint. Yeah. They've ignored it. I can't get this bench warrant off of me. And so I am, I am locked in my house. I'm having to sell my house to, um, to finish. I'm ending up paying him after he stole millions of dollars. Can you see why coercive controllers take away another person's civil rights? Yes. It should not be allowed because the I have kind no of civil rights. intrusion yeah. and the lack yeah. of accountability, whenever it's involved in a marriage, they can get away with all kinds of crimes. And Teresa's right. We need to start calling them on that because they should not be allowed to take away anybody's civil rights. Lisa's virtually a prisoner at this time. Yes, I am. I really am. And I have been suicidal, too. But I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't commit suicide because I wouldn't give him the satisfaction. Now, let me talk about suicide for a second. <laughs> let yeah, me ask I you a question, Lisa. I mean, I have to laugh about it, but it is the truth. Well, you really are literally... Motive, which I think is, uh, yeah. is better than not having it. But do you want to be dead, or can you just not the way you're having to live anymore. Is it that's A or is it, it B? Is. If, if you want to be dead, that's suicidal. If you can't stand right. the way it is, you are in a trauma reaction and you need help. It is. It's the, it's the trauma reaction. And I do have a therapist. I have been going to a doctor throughout this who is so, uh, a psychiatrist who is so blown away by the um, well, the effects, well, not only the effects of this, he deals, he actually specializes in PTSD, but the fact that the court can keep doing this, doing this, doing this over and over and over, and that this m person is a psychopath, uh, a narcissist, and is a malicious litigator, um, can't be stopped. Yeah. And, and he feels and helpless. And yes, they'll find a... Uh, protective parent of vexatious litigants in a heartbeat and take their right to come back to court away. So, exactly. uh, you know, Heather made a good point there. We need to really clarify uh, on this malicious, mischievous, vexatious type litigation. Who really is doing that? Is it the one that has commandeered the court to be a tool of, of abuse? Or is it someone trying to protect themselves? Well, the other and thing I I've noticed that has been so prevalent throughout this is that I have never seen more perjury committed in my life ever. I, I thought perjury was a federal offense, but I have seen these people, my ex and people around him will go in there and lie, lie, lie. So, and you, you can't, I mean, it's so unbelievable. They are never punished. There is no, um, there is no accountability for anything, anything illegal that they do, ever. Yeah. There has to be well, a message. Um, I, want, I thank you very much, caller, for your uh, contribution. Sure. I, I ran across, again, being on the West Coast here, I wanted to share this because a lot of times we think that these coercive controllers are just, oh, they're just obstinate or they're just stubborn or they're just selfish. They can... This can turn into a very serious 
situation for all parties when you're dealing with a coercive controller. There was a Seattle man um, who gave his child, his toddler, heroin. He gave the kid heroin and um, did it, then accusing the mother of having done it. Now, fortunately, in this case, the child is okay at this point, um, and there was enough evidence to support that the mother didn't do it. But what kind of damage could have been done if there wasn't evidence to um, support the fact that he had done it? That's a this really woman important because prob- yeah, their this, behavior this will accelerate would, over time. This, yes, exactly. You know, this is. It may start out over the 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 house, and it may proceed to the kids. It may proceed into absolutely criminal behavior that will hurt the kids. And in this scenario, if that man, if it didn't have enough ev- leave enough evidence behind, so that the authorities saw clearly that he was the one who gave the heroin to the toddler, it very easily could have been him getting custody of the child, and the mother losing custody. And imagine wow. what would have to that child oh yeah you know what would have happened to that child yeah yeah so these are really really serious situations and i see our time is coming to an end caller do you have just a real quick uh, wrap up that you'd like to share i just think that um this it is it's such an important um topic and i wish you could spend more time on it i really do and um what i also noticed within this i was abused during this whole time his children were abused also and um they're now now as abusive as his the the parents are they're just as abusive and so it's really sad and dr hover thank you for all of your your work and everything that you do and to all the other people out there that are working on this thank you all and i appreciate this radio station Okay, thank you well, very thank much. You. Thank you, and thank you for calling in. Dr. Huffer, oh, we've heard so many stories today, and we barely touched the issue of uh, parental alienation and uh, reunification, supposed parental alienation and supposed reunification, which can both be extremely damaging to children. Um, right. And so we're going to have to address that on another program. Um, well, but, we'll do boy, it. <laughs> yeah, okay. But boy, oh boy, uh, this issue is such a hot button, and it's so damaging to so many families and children, and I think most people do not understand that this kind of stuff goes on. I think most people believe that if you go to court, you're going to get some justice. There is somebody who can make make him stand up straight and pay the alimony and pay the child support, and and it's just not the case. Um, no, a few there, judges will, but but uh, not often enough. And and we need to believe that there is justice in our courts. It's very threatening to understand this is the way it really is. That scares oh, the heck. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, we're coming to the end again. I just feel like we haven't, we've barely touched our topic. So, um, you know, we're, we're going to come back uh, to visit this. But as kind of a wrap-up, you know, I look for a quote um, to help us understand, uh, you know, what's, what's going on here in courts. And I just couldn't find one. I could not find one that was applicable. There are so many stories and so many uh, things going on. But I think... Um, we're going to wrap it up by saying that there is bias 
and there is discrimination in the courts. And if you look at the web and if you listen to a lot of the publicity, there's a big push on how poor men are victims of gender bias and um, uh, discrimination in the courts. But I think if we look at the statistics, we're going to find that it's just the opposite, that uh, there is gender bias against mothers as well in the courtroom if they have an abusive, controlling um, spouse. Would you agree, Doctor? Yes, absolutely. More okay. often. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, it's that such a politics sad... goes along with coercive control and power motives. So, of yes. course, that would be a move that certain people that did not care about the other person's civil rights, they would tend to go take the power and take what they could from the situation. And you find yes. the mothers are not thinking that way; they're thinking yeah. about justice and joy and raising their kids. You know? Yep. So it's a huge issue. Dr. Huffer, thank you so much for joining us. You've added so much to our day. And we're going to come back and we're going to talk more about uh, uh, coercive control and parental alienation. Join us next week. Thank you so much. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.